Thursday, May 10th. This is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. From Motley Fool Special Ops, Mike Olson. And from Motley Fool Share Advisor in Fool Australia, Mr. Scott Phillips. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Chris. Good to be with you. Uh, you know, that's, that's what we do here at Market Foolery. We brought Scott here from Australia just for this show. For this episode. Just for, for this that. episode. Um, we're gonna, An auspicious honor. Exactly. Yes. We're going to wrap up the week uh, with a round of undervalued, overvalued, and overlooked uh, stocks that the guys think are undervalued, overvalued, and a story that uh, investors might be overlooking and a way to play it. Let's start with the undervalued stocks. Joe, what do you got? Yeah, I'll go with eBay. It's a stock that's been on my radar for about a decade. Uh, when I was looking at it back in 2003, 2004, it was selling for around 25 times sales. Well, since then, they've almost quadrupled sales, but the stock is down 29%, which just goes to show that valuation matters when you're buying. Uh, great balance sheet, both businesses in terms of marketplaces and PayPal are totally humming right now. Stock's only selling at 17 times forward earnings, and I think it's a great little pickup. Um, is the is the growth opportunity for PayPal, or you can see where I'm going? Leading this, question. Uh, is, is the growth opportunity <laughs> for eBay? Is it all built into PayPal, or is it expanding into other markets? It's both. I think the marketplace business is probably going to post double digit growth, like low teens, for the foreseeable future. But PayPal is definitely the gem, and that's the part that I'm more excited about. Okay. Mike Olson, what's your undervalued stock? I'm going with Aon, which you might know is a soccer team and or or insurance broker and provider of outsourced HR services. Basically, they manage payroll plans, 401ks, healthcare plans. Um, The idea around this stock is basically it's one that, that kind of centers around unsustainable conditions. A big theme Joe, myself, and Scott, we were all at the Berkshire Annual Meeting, Markel Mm -hmm. Shareholder Breakfast, and Joe and I went to the Value Investing Congress. A lot of people were talking about the unsustainability of low interest rates and also how unsustainably low insurance pricing is. Aon is an insurance broker. About 70% of their revenues come from commissions. And so as pricing improves in insurance, and we've had like a seven-year, I think it's like seven years running of pricing weakness where it has been negative or below inflation. They stand to capitalize on that. Likewise, because they are a broker and they basically they retain the amount of the policy that's written, they basically generate float, just like an insurer, but without the policy risk. And so they've made no money on that float for the past few years just because interest rates are so low. I'm personally of the opinion that if you take a long enough horizon, that's an unsustainable condition as well. So you could easily see them adding 10 to 20% of their cash flow in a costless way with that. So you're rooting for higher interest rates. That's what I'm hearing. I mean, you know, it, that's actually not a horrible thing to root for because if we get higher interest rates, well, you can hope that that is because people believe the economy is improving. So I don't think that's so bad. Okay. Um, I'm sure senior citizens listening would agree with that as well. Well, yeah. They're getting zero effectively on their money markets these days. There's nothing like having your purchasing power eviscerated. Um the last thing is they've done a great acquisition in the Hewitt business, but right now the earnings power on that is obscure because there are a lot of non-cash charges, and the extent to which they're able to take costs out of the business is not yet readily apparent. I mean, the bottom line is this is an excellent franchise, solid and recurring cash flow, good competitive advantages, and it's selling at about 11 times cash flow. So you have multiple near-term catalysts or you know, within the next couple of years, which you're not really paying much for. So it's a fairly attractive proposition. And just quickly, the ticker symbol? 
A O N. A O N. Shocking. Nice and easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Phillips, what's your undervalued stock? Chris, my undervalued stock is Berkshire Hathaway. As Mike mentioned, we went to the Berkshire Hathaway meeting last weekend. Um, figured I might fly over for Market Fuller and head to Berkshire Hathaway while I was here. Um, the uh, look <laughs> while know. I'm there, <laughs> while, while I'm I was going to by do the, the podcast. Meeting. That's right. That's right. That's right. I extended the trip just slightly. I was going to come for the day, but thought I'd stay for the week. Berkshire is a wonderful conglomerate of businesses, operating businesses on one hand, insurance business on the other. Even without Warren Buffett and, and Charlie Munger in charge, the business is incredibly cheap. Um, trading at 1.14 times book, um, that book value is going to grow. Buffett's already said he's going to buy back stock at 1.1 times book. Um, sensational insurance operations, Agent Jane, the heir presumptive for Berkshire, um, just just a wonderful conglomerate of businesses. You're getting Buffett and Munger thrown in for free for as long as they're there. They're developing their investment team themselves. You know, the, the downside is pretty much capped, given that Buff's going to buy back stock at 1.1 times book. The upside is significant from here, you know, multiples tens, tens of percent from here. Is it fair to say that if you're buying shares of Berkshire Hathaway today, you're, you're, looking, you're looking for something steady? You're not expecting serious growth? Look, I think that the underlying businesses are actually growing quite strongly. Um, I read something not, not long ago. The, un- the underlying book value of Berkshire is growing faster than some of the market indices. It's just that the, the margin, comp- the multiple compression, I'm sorry, has actually seen the price really, if not crater, certainly hasn't grown in, in line with book value over time. If that, if that multiple expands again, either before or after Buffett's no longer in charge, um, you'll actually get some reasonable margin expansion, mar- multiple expansion, I'm sorry. But you'll also get you know, a really strong underlying business that will continue to grow. So you're not going to get the 20 and 30% earnings growth year after year. But the earnings will continue to grow strongly. The price should recover. There's really a, a one-two punch for investors at that price. I should say I, I do own the stock as well. Uh, what? You're talking your book on the show? <laughs> oh, we don't do that in America. We don't do that here. For <laughs> what it's worth, I also own Aon. And I own uh, eBay. And Aon. <laughs> and Berkshire. Oh, yes. I and I wholeheartedly Berkshire. endorse those pitches. <laughs> I think and, – and one thing that Scott brings up, which I think is an excellent point, is that – you're not paying anything for the future value accretion, which is going to come from the Burlington Northern Santa Fe acquisition. Yep. That's a business whose competitive and economic advantages are actually yeah. increasing with each year. And I think it's going to be an astounding grower across the long term. Um, Joe, want to touch on uh, something else that you guys did over the weekend. And, and Mike mentioned this company. And that's Markel, because you guys also went to a, a, a presentation or, or it, I guess, it was it their annual meeting? or It's not the annual meeting, but they host an annual kind of Q&A event in Omaha. I think they've been doing it for about 20 years now. It is, and it's remarkably under-attended. Yeah, we were joking. It's like the hipster event of value investing because they don't promote it anywhere on their website, and the only way to know how to get there is if you're part of this cool club of value investors like we are. <laughs> By cool and you club, know where- <laughs> we mean khakis and navy blazers. <laughs> Very swinging crowd. It's like the hipster investing speakeasy. Is that what it is? Yes, it's the speakeasy, but, um, uh, but it's a great event. Um Markel's chief investment officer, Tom Gaynor, is super smart, super funny. Markel is basically a business model or an insurance company in the mold of Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, they're basically just trying to write insurance at a good enough profit and then take that money and reinvest it in high-quality businesses for the long haul. I think Markel's cheap right now, not Berkshire cheap, but cheap. I own a good bit of it also, and uh, it's a great long-term holding. Right. And I think one thing to note there, too, is that their ability to be facile and kind of move within markets is incrementally improved just because they're only about a $4.2 billion market cap company. And so whereas Berkshire is constrained by its size, they are not so much. You also have an unbelievable capital allocator in the chief investment officer, Tom Gaynor. I think I 
I recently saw a stat, I wrote an article on this after the meeting, where he's compounded his returns at 100%, over 100% cumulative over the last decade, where the S&P has done only 15%. Mm-hmm. So, you know... Not bad. Not bad. Nice numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to the overvalued also stocks. Also, own shares. <laughs> uh, Joe Maker, what's your overvalued stock? I don't own shares of this one uh, or have a short position, which would have been the logical step. But uh, Garmin, this is a stock that just keeps beating my expectations. Uh, Garmin, you probably best know for the car devices they have, personal navigation devices. It's GPS. Yep. They also have watches, and they have an automotive and a, a marine segment as well. Honestly, I can't believe how well the stock has done. It's selling about 17 times forward earnings. The company's biggest business unit, personal navigation devices, GPS units that you have in your car, sales of those units are down one-third in the U.S. market year over year, and it's because that GPS is now becoming a feature of other devices instead of being its own product. So I personally think it's a complete trap at this valuation, and investors should steer clear. And the ticker? GRMN. Mike, what's your overvalued stock? All right, this this might be like anathemic or whatever you want. I'll acknowledge it has changed my dining and going out life, but it's Yelp. Um, this is a company whose concept is truly revolutionary. I mean, they they've kind of captured on the hyper localization of social networks by having this this whole rating mechanism and the like. And on that basis alone, it's it's an interesting concept, and surely they have advantages relative to their peers. But the problem here is monetization. They basically, at their core, are a local search company they, or local ad company. They basically sell ads to local businesses. And when you think about the hyper-local ad market, there are two companies that are really want this and they want to do it well, and that's Facebook and Google. So those are formidable competitors in and of itself. I'm not saying this is a winner-take-all game, but you generally want to steer clear of those guys because they, they don't mean to play nice. Joe and his infinite affection with Google will agree. I love the Google. He loves it. But I, I love the Yelp, too. I, lo- uh, I mean, I don't love the price, but I definitely love the service. If anyone hasn't used it, I highly recommend the iPhone app, and it's fantastic because like, what I'll do is I'll go to a restaurant, and I'm wondering what to order. I'll whip out my phone, pull it up on Yelp, and then just look at photos and reviews of what people recommend it. Right. It's awesome. And it's also nice because you'll never have a bad meal when you're in, in an unfamiliar city because yep. you just use that. The problem here, as Joe says, is basically this is a company that has $100 million worth of revenue, has yet to be profitable, and has, I think it's a $1.3 billion market cap. <laughs> That does not equate. But it's got a great product. Yeah, I mean, great product. The, the thing is, you know, this is going to scale over passage of time. But the question is, how well does it scale? Because, mm-hmm. you know, selling local ads is not a business which is easily scaled. Scott, what about you? What's your overvalued stock? Chris, my overvalued stock is an Australian airline company. So, unsurprisingly overvalued, Qantas. Uh, code is ASXQAN. Is this the one from Lost? I don't know. I don't know. You have to. Uh, it's the uh, it's the koala bear one. For okay. those who remember the ads from uh, from many years ago. Sure. Yeah, the koala bear ads. And also, yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, Qantas. I watch them on YouTube. <laughs> also you featured uh, featured in the movie uh, Rain Man. Absolutely. That was the airline Rain Man. Uh, the, the Dustin Hoffman's character wanted to fly it because it was because uh, of its safety record. And it still is the safest That's airline a in the world. That's a good one to have for cocktail parties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> still the safest airline in the world. And yet, despite all that, unfortunately, despite, despite the koala bears, <laughs> despite the feature in Rain Man, you're saying it's overvalued? Absolutely. That I, was their shortcoming. Safety that, costs well, too much. <laughs> 
they, look, the airline industry is, is terrible, as, as you guys well know. Um, I don't know how many airlines are coming in now. Chapter 11 bankruptcy multiple times, but I'm sure there's a lot uh, of those that are still around. Uh, look, Qantas is, has a great brand in Australia. It, it, it's still quite affectionately thought of. Unfortunately, it's an airline business, and those businesses are just awful. They're, they're capital drain businesses. They're not going to give you a, a reasonable return. The shares have actually fallen 70% over the last five years, and despite that, a bit like Joe's value trap before, this one is absolutely a value trap for investors. It can't be cheap enough. Um, I guess there's a price for everything, but yeah, it'd have to be a very, very low price. So I'd be staying clear of Qantas, staying clear of airline stocks in general. All right, before we uh, get to the overlooked stories, I got an email in response to yesterday's podcast where we were talking about Disney's earnings, and our producer, Matt Greer, shared uh, his experience because uh, he just went to Disney for the first time. Email from Andy Sorensen in Mankato, Minnesota. He writes, as a former Disney cast member, I'm sad to inform Matt Greer that he was wrong during yesterday's show. Yes, Disney does own the Muppets, however... When the sale was closed, Disney got the rights to all thing, all things Muppets except the Sesame Street characters. So no Elmo, no Big Bird, or the rest of Come the street at Disney. You're supposed to be keeping us in line here. Mac, getting called out by Andy Sorensen. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the correction, Andy. As always, uh, drop us an email, radio at fool.com. Let's move on to the overlooked stories and maybe an investing play out of it. Joe, what do you got? I've got Microsystems, a company that just recently hit my radar. It's a $5 billion company, so I'm kind of surprised I hadn't heard of it. But then when you hear what it does, you'll see why. So they manage point-of-sale terminals and experiences for hotels, restaurants, and retailers. And so at a hotel, for example, let's say you book a ticket online or book a room online. That goes through their system. You stay there. Uh, the room reservation is through their system. You go to the restaurant through their system, et cetera. The beautiful thing about the business is that once you are in the door with a hotel, it's extremely difficult for them to ever shake you uh, because their entire system revolves around yours. And their average client's been with them about 20 years, which really speaks to you know, the switching cost of their services. Wow. It's almost hard to believe that the financial media hasn't done big, splashy stories on point-of-sale terminals in It's hotels. not as cool as the Facebook IPO. <laughs> um, and the ticker? MCRS. MCRS. All right. Mike Olson, what's your overlooked story? Uh, this kind of goes back to the that whole theme that I was discussing before, which is the unsustainably low nature of interest rates. Basically, you know, we've heard a lot about helicopter Ben and that elicits fun and, and pretty images. Uh, but what's been missed is kind of the, the actual underlying story around interest rates. Uh, the Fed has pumped a lot of money into the system. And, I mean, the underlying motive is to enable private and public sector debt pay down. Um, but in the long run, that's kind of an unsustainable condition. What happens here is either the economy improves and rates move higher or, you know, bond investors come to the realization that despite being the best house on the block, we're still not a really great buy and they demand higher interest rates. Um, I think ways to play that are the brokers, discount brokers, Schwab, TD Ameritrade. They keep a lot of money on hand and they make interest income on it. You got paychecks, payroll processor, uh, the insurance brokers, as I said, Aon, and insurers themselves. Markel is one, which most notably stands to benefit from that. Okay. Scott Phillips, what do you got? Chris, there's a whole lot of pessimism in the market at the moment. Europe's in the news. Um, we've had market cheaters up. Heard the last a little week. something just, about that. Just a small amount. Just a small amount. It's kind of made its way to you know the front page of the journal. 
look, with all that pessimism in, in the market, I think investors are overlooking and the media is overlooking some of the really good news that's coming through. So back in Australia, uh, you know, we've had some great retail numbers. The last retail numbers released for March, um, the economists were expecting a 0.2% increase in, in retail sales, came in at 0.9%, and February was upgraded or revised from 0.2 to 0.3%. And Australia's got unemployment of 4.9%, down from 52 There's so much underlying good news in the market. And I think, you know, investors really need to be aware that, you know, by the time everything, you know, as Warren Buffett said, you pay a high price for a cheery consensus. By the time the good news is, is well known, it's mm-hmm. going to be baked in a share price and the opportunities are going to disappear. Now is the time to look at businesses that have strong underlying franchises that are really solid businesses that are going to benefit from that upturn. Because as soon as people start spending again in significant numbers, that those companies will take off. So you're looking at the discretionary retailers in particular, even some of the, the non-discretionary retailers who are just going to get more business, um, anyone exposed to, to, say, clothing or other discretionary purchases. You know, when people start spending again, and they will, investors will realise that they bid some of these companies down too far on the bad news, just as they bid them up too far on the good news. So now it's really a good time to get into some of those businesses. Just yeah. to drill down on the retailers, because we've talked before about luxury retailers and really been a, a relatively good ride over the last year or two when yeah. you talk about companies like Coach. Um, um, when you look at retailers in Australia, are, are you looking at ones more at the high end or or are there general retailers that you like? I think there's a bit of both. We haven't necessarily had the same upswing in Australia as, as what you had with those luxury retailers, but it, it's probably that middle range retail. So the, the less expensive guys are people people have, have traded down to during the tough times. The, the guys at the top end are probably still doing okay because there's still a bit of money for the for the very wealthy. It's those guys really through the middle. So some of our department stores, um, companies like David Jones and Meyer, um, code DJS and MYR. Um, I prefer the former. I also own the former. So uh, but they, you know, there are really good businesses. Um, Oriton's another business I own, Oriton Group, who sell Oriton handbags and, and also have the Polo Ralph Lauren franchise in Australia and New Zealand. Um, there's some really good businesses that are going to benefit from that, you know, um, I guess, re- continued spending or, or the return to spending once consumers realise that things aren't as bad as perhaps we thought they were. Um, and we forget the bad times, which we inevitably do. Every time there's a bust, there's a boom that follows it. And that comes from losing that inhibition from the bad times, getting stuck back into, into spending. Um, Joe and Mike, uh, obviously Scott came here from Sydney, Australia to do market foolery, but um, it's also true that Bruce Jackson, who heads up Fool Australia, uh, sent Scott here with a mission to basically take me to task for a mistake I made. Because uh, recently we talked about Clive Palmer, uh, the businessman slash politician. Slash living treasure. So, yes, the, the one of the latest living national living treasures uh, in Australia. Um, and I mentioned nice. our website, and I actually blew the URL. So just uh, to make it up to Bruce, uh, you want to check out Fool Australia and our share advisor service and, and some of the great writing that Scott Phillips uh, is doing. It's fool.com.au. That's www.fool.com.au. Um, since we've got you here, I mean, the national living treasures thing, I mean, it it seems kind of cool. Yeah, look, it, it should be kind of cool. And the first time it was done, it was kind of cool because it was chosen reasonably, you know, by some people who knew some stuff. We had some a panel of people who got together and, and decided the, the hundred living Australian treasures, which was really lovely. Unfortunately, there was um, seven of those people who died, as as people do, and the voting then progressed to a women's magazine, which I'm sure is wonderful and I'm sure is lovely. But uh, when Clive Palmer was advertising on his website for votes uh, and it's fair to say that Clive Palmer may have a lot of money and has done quite well for himself. He's not exactly universally loved in Australia. Uh, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you heard or reported on the news, but he uh, previously uh, accused the Green Party in Australia of being in cahoots with the CIA. 
Um, he's also going to rebuild mm. the Titanic. Um, he's taking the uh, Soccer Association in Australia to court uh, for kicking his team out of the out of the football league. So he's certainly yeah. uh, he's not not far so from controversy. So this isn't the Australian equivalent of like knighthood in Britain. I guess that's what <laughs> <Yeah>. you're saying. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, a, that's a very fair assumption. Your yeah. system sounds a lot like our political selection process. <laughs> it's not far away. The first ninety three we love. The, the last seven might be a little little bit dodgy. So you're saying that Olivia Newton John and Kylie Minogue were not trolling for votes on their respective websites. I'm not sure if they were. Uh, the problem was Clive Palmer actually asked all of his employees to vote for him as well. <laughs> what a treasure. <laughs> Absolutely. That's democracy in action. Scott Phillips, Mike Olson, Joe Maker. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Pleasure. As always, thanks, people on the program may have interest. What am I saying? On this program, people definitely have interest. We have all sorts of interest. In the stocks that they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.